Chapter Four of My Brilliant Career. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leanne Howlett. My Brilliant Career by Miles Franklin. Chapter Four A Career Which Soon Careered to an End. While Mother, Jane Hazlip, and I found the days long and life slow, Father was enjoying himself immensely. He had embarked upon a lively career, that gambling trade known as dealing in stock. When he was not away in Riverina inspecting a flock of sheep, he was attending the Homebush fat stock sales, rushing out to Bork, or tearing off down the Shoalhaven to buy some dairy heifers. He was a familiar figure at the Galburn sale-yards every Wednesday, always going into town the day before and not returning till a day and often two days afterwards. He was in great demand among drovers and auctioneers, and in the stock news his name was always mentioned in connection with all the principal sales in the colony. It takes an astute, clear-headed man to keep himself offshore in stock-dealing. I never yet heard of a dealer who occasionally did not temporarily, if not totally, go to the wall. He need not necessarily be downright unscrupulous, but if he wishes to profit, he must not be overburdened with niceties in the point of honor. That is where Richard Melvin fell through. He was crippled with too many utopian ideas of honesty, and was too soft ever to come off anything but second best in a deal. He might as well have attempted to make his fortune by scraping a fiddle up and down Auburn Street, Goulburn. His dealing career was short and merry, his vanity to be considered a socialistic fellow, who was as ready to take a glass with a swaggy as a swell, and the lavish shouting which this principle incurred made great inroads on his means. Losing money every time he sold a beast, wasting stamps galore on letters to endless auctioneers, frequently remaining in town half a week at a stretch, and being hell-fellow to all the spongers to be found on the trail of such as he, quickly left him on the verge of bankruptcy. Some of his contemporaries say it was Grog that did it all. Had he kept clear-headed, he was a smart fellow, and gave promise of doing well. But his head would not stand alcohol, and by it he was undermined in no time. In considerably less than a twelve-month, all the spare capital in his coffers, from the disposal of Bruggabrong and the Benbins, had been squandered. He had become so hard up that to pay the drovers in his last venture he was forced to sell the calves of the few milch cows retained for household uses. At this time it came to my father's knowledge that one of our bishops had money held in trust for the church. On good security he was giving this out for usury, the same as condemned in the big Bible, out of which he took the text of the dry-hash sermons with which he bored his fashionable congregations in his cathedral on Sundays. Father took advantage of this reverend's inconsistency and mortgaged Possum Gully. With the money thus obtained he started once more and managed to make a scant livelihood and pay the interest on the bishop's loan. In four or five years he had again reached loggerheads. The price of stock had fallen so that there was nothing to be made out of dealing in them. Richard Melvin resolved to live as those around him, start a dairy, run it with his family, who would also rear poultry for sale. 
As instruments of the dairying trade he procured fifty milch cows, the calves of which had to be pottied, and a hand cream separator. I was in my fifteenth year when we began dairying. The twins, Horace and Gertie, were, as you already know, eleven months younger. Horace, had there been anyone to train him, contained the makings of a splendid man, but having no one to bring him up in the way he should go, he was a churlish and trying bully, and the issue of his character doubtful. Gertie milked thirteen cows and I eighteen morning and evening. Horace and mother between them milked the remaining seventeen. Among the dairying fraternity little toddlers, ere they are big enough to hold a bucket, learn to milk. Thus their hands become inured to the motion, and it does not affect them. With us it was different. Being almost full-grown when we started to milk, and then plunging heavily into the exercise, it had a painful effect upon us. Our hands and arms, as far as the elbows, swelled, so that our sleep at night was often disturbed by pain. Mother made the butter. She had to rise at two and three o'clock in the morning, in order that it would be cool and firm enough to print for market. Jane Hazlip had left us a year previously, and we could afford no one to take her place. The heavy work told upon my gentle, refined mother. She grew thin and careworn, and often cross. My father's share of the work was to break in the wild cows, separate the milk, and take the butter into town to the grocer's establishment, where we obtained our supplies. Dick Melvin of Bruggabrong was not recognizable in Dick Melvin, dairy farmer, and cocky of Possum Gully. The former had been a man worthy of the name. The latter was a slave of drink, careless, even dirty and bedraggled in his personal appearance. He disregarded all manners, and had become far more plebeian and common than the most miserable specimen of humanity around him. The support of his family, yet not its support. The head of his family yet failing to fulfill the obligations demanded of one in that capacity. He seemed to lose all love and interest in his family, and grew cross and silent, utterly without pride and pluck. Formerly so kind and gentle with animals, now he was the reverse. His cruelty to the young cows and want of patience with them I can never forget. It has often brought upon me the threat of immediate extermination for volunteering scathing and undesired opinions on his conduct. The part of the dairying that he positively gloried in was going to town with the butter. He frequently remained in for two or three days, as often as not spending all the money he got for the butter in a drunken spree. Then he would return to curse his luck because his dairy did not pay as well as those of some of our neighbors. The curse of Eve being upon my poor mother in those days, she was unable to follow her husband. Pride forbade her appealing to her neighbors so on me devolved the duty of tracking my father from one pub to another and bringing him home. Had I done justice to my mother's training, I would have honored my paternal parent in spite of all this, but I am an individual ever doing things I oughtn't at the time I shouldn't. Coming home, often after midnight, with my drunken father talking maudlin conceited nonsense beside me, I developed curious ideas on the fifth commandment. Those journeys in the spring-cart through the soft, faint starlight were conducive to thought. My father, like most men when under the influence of liquor, would allow no one but himself to handle the reins, and he was often so incapable that he would keep turning the horse round and round in the one place. It is a marvel we never met with an accident. 
I was not nervous, but quite content to take whatever came, and our trusty old horse fulfilled his duty, ever faithfully taking us home along the gum-tree-lined road. My mother had taught me from the Bible that I should honor my parents, whether they were deserving of honor or not. Dick Melvin, being my father, did not blind me to the fact that he was a despicable, selfish, weak creature, and as such I despised him with the relentlessness of fifteen, which makes no allowance for human frailty and weakness. Disgust, not honor, was the feeling which possessed me when I studied the matter. Towards mother I felt differently. A woman is but the helpless tool of man, a creature of circumstances. Seeing my father beside me, and thinking of his infant with its mother, eating her heart out with anxiety at home, this was the reasoning which took possession of me. Among other such inexpressible thoughts, I got lost, grew dizzy, and drew back appalled at the spirit which was maturing within me. It was a grim, lonely one, which I vainly tried to hide in a bosom which was not big or strong enough for its comfortable habitation. It was as a climbing plant without a pole. It groped about the ground, bruised itself, and became hungry searching for something strong to which to cling. Needing a master hand to train and prune, it was becoming rank and sour. End of chapter 4 Recording by Leanne Howlett